For most of us, death isn't something we want to think much about, at least until it hits us personally. Only after a loved one passes away do we have to confront the complex bureaucracies that control how the dead are cared for. For as long as humans have been around, we've had precise and elaborate rituals when it comes to caring for the dead. And on this week's Please Explain, we're discussing that long history with Thomas LeCur, a historian and professor at UC Berkeley. His latest book, The Work of the Dead, A Culture History of Mortal Remains, is published by Princeton University Press. I'm very pleased it has brought him to our show today. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm well, uh, and we invite our listeners to join in the conversation. You can give us a call at 212-433-9692 or write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. One of the questions that you pose at the uh, outset of your book is, why do we care so much about the dead? Do you find it surprising that humans have always had complex rituals for caring for them? Well, you know, it's... You think I'd have a better answer than I'm going to give you. Um, I don't exactly find it surprising, uh, but I do, did find it surprising that humans care for the dead more or less independently of specific beliefs that they have about them. That is to say, people do have religious beliefs which dictate how they care for the dead, but even people without religious beliefs, or even explicitly without religious beliefs, like Marxists and ancient materialists, care about the dead body and how it's treated. And that, I think, was a surprising finding to me. Didn't all the ancient hominids, including the Neanderthals and the Denisovans, have burial rituals? Well, we've just, as you know, as you, with, as you just said, with the, these hominids were discovered to have had them only a few months ago. And Neanderthals have been thought for a while to have had these rituals, but only in the last year or two have we actually proven um, that they that they care for the dead, I and mean, we actually know that now pretty certain. Leslie, that is that we know this one burial site that was really set up to care care for the dead. So, do I find it surprising? You know, it's one of these circular arguments. It's one of these things. If the Neanderthals must be humans because they cared for their dead, um, I, so my sense is that that at least is that caring for the dead is a kind of. Um, this sort of transitional moment, the liminal moment between hominids in nature and humans in culture. It's what we do to, to live in time, to live with our ancestors, to live with those who come after us. So in some sense, I think one of the things that was most surprising to me is that there's this deep anthropological need uh, to care for the dead, to be human, um, and to make communities independently of beliefs. That is, many, many, many different beliefs, or no beliefs, and we still care for the dead. Well, can uh, some of the reasons be practical to avoid contamination from the dead bodies, or is it usually religious or spiritual? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, I guess my argument would be um, that it's not primarily practical. So if you think about Neanderthal days, we can imagine that there must have been many more dead saber-toothed tigers and mastodons around than there were dead human bodies. And as far as we know, no one's burying saber-toothed tigers or mastodons. Do any other um, animals bury their dead no, with rituals? No, I mean, not even some, none of the primates. Bit of evidence that elephants sort of cover them a little bit. Um, 
And the ancients thought that maybe ants do it. Um, they carry their dead out of, and we know now that termites carry dead bodies out of their colonies. But no other creature, um, no other creature, uh, makes tombs for its dead. And 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 people who thought on this subject since antiquity in the West and in other cultures think that somehow caring for the dead is a, is an originary moment of, of of humanity, just as a theoretical point. I mean, we care for the dead, and that makes us not animals. The ancient Greek philosopher Diogenes makes a few appearances in this book. What was his take on death? He's kind of the the, the guy against whom I argue, the kind of, um, if you want to call it the, the leitmotif of the book. So Diogenes' students say, so what should you do with your dead body? And he said, look, just toss it over the walls. And they're, um, they're, they're appalled by this idea because, needless to say, uh, being not being buried properly was anathema in ancient in in in, in ancient uh, Greece. I mean, the Antigone, the greatest Greek tragedy, maybe is all about you know the sister that demands to bury her brother. So this was an outrageous thing to say, and 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 they say, well, we can't we can't do that. And he says, you'll be eaten by the beasts and and the and by birds. And he says, okay, okay, I get the point. So give me a stick and I can beat away the, the birds and the beasts if they would disturb my dead body. And they said, but you'll be dead and you won't notice it. And he said, well, that's the point. <laughs> it makes no difference. So everyone but they said, thought he was crazy, didn't they? they he was also he was fond of and masturbating in public. He was, you know, a version of Socrates gone mad. They thought he was crazy. But a lot of people after that, including very important people, Montaigne and, and, uh, and, and uh, St. Augustine and uh, all sorts of important people have said, well, that's right. Look, the dead body just a dead body. And um, dust, dust, and it's, who cares? But, and a huge amount of human cultural history is written into this phrase, yes, that's right, except for, or but. No one has been able to live, no culture that we know of has been able to live with the idea of the dead body being just detritus, just stuff to throw in the fields. Where did the, the complicated Greek mytho mythologically based religion come into the rituals for their dead? Yes, they do. Um, so, I mean, they, they, you're absolutely right. Um, it's not so much cremation versus not cremation, because we now know that you know, the Greeks in, the, in, 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 in Homer uh, uh, cremated. I mean, the Achilles quotes cremate the body of Patroclus, but the, the Greeks in the Antigone buried. Antigone wants to bury her brother. So it's not so much the burial versus cremation, but not being properly buried in some sense, condemned the soul they believe to endless wandering, to the to not being able to cross the river Styx um, into the land of the dead, into 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 uh, Elysium, and so um, and so yes, not being it, it, it doomed the soul to eternal wandering. Now the interesting thing to me about this is that Saint Augustine, one of the great church fathers. Um, argue that, you know, that's why we Christians um, are superior to the Greeks. 
uh, it's not like in the Aeneid, he says, in which it matters where your where your body's buried. We Christians, um, we Christians can be will be resurrected, whatever we do with our bodies. So our martyrs in southern France, their bodies are are destroyed by the by the tormentors, and then they're eaten by the lions, and the lions are eaten by dogs, and the dogs are burnt, and the dogs' bodies get thrown into the Rhone. And yet, our God will resurrect these bodies from the ashes. So we don't care. On the other hand, Augustine was at the very beginning of the cult of saints. It mattered a lot to be buried next to a saint's body. And the whole story of churchyards and the Christian geography of the dead grew out of the fact that Christians want to be buried next to martyrs, next to saints. So it matters again, even though theologically it doesn't matter. And in some religions, you, uh, you can't be cremated. Uh, or you, they, they forbid cremation. Others have funeral pyres. Right. Some re- and, and, and some religions don't care until it becomes a threat. So Catholics were generally against cremation. We were generally not against cremation. They had no thought on the subjects because there was essentially no cremation in Europe between the, about the 3rd century and the 19th century. And then when it came in the 19th century, it came in explicitly as anti-clerical, materialist, and then the church develops the doctrine against it. But theologically, it doesn't make a difference what happens to your body. I'm speaking you know, with... The ancient rabbis didn't care that much about cremation uh, or not. There are evidence, archaeological evidence, of Jews who were cremated in antiquity. But now it becomes, it's a much bigger story. And, and I mean, I could tell you why it becomes a bigger story. But all of it is, is situational. In other words, we do this and they do that. It's, it's about civilizational change and about cultural change. And Orthodox Jews can't be buried if they have a tattoo. Well, that's right. But that's, I, I mean, I'm no expert on this, but my guess is that that's, that may have an ancient origin because tattooing had a certain Christian slave of God quality to it. It came from ancient markings of slaves. But my sense is it's post-Auschwitz. But I'm, I wouldn't, I'm not an expert on this. My guess but I is... I know that my Jewish friends now find... T- my progressive liberal friends find tattooing awful. And I think it grows out of... Uh, the, the meaning of tattoos uh, from the Holocaust. Well, I, I suspect we have listeners who probably will know the answer to that, and they'll probably give us a call. I'll never hear a 212. I'm sure will know the answer. <laughs> we have, I'm always corrected on theology when we get into these areas on this show. 212-433-9692 is and the it, number to call. It's also true that all Jews have different views on this subject, so it's, it's not sure we'd be correct that we'll just be giving it another view. You could also write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is Leonard, at Leonard Lopate. My guest is Thomas W. LeCur, the Helen Fawcett Professor of History at the University of California, Berkeley. His latest book, The Work of the Dead, A Cultural History of Mortal Remains, it is published by Princeton University Press. Um, the Buddhists, uh, one of the tenets of Buddhism is that the body is irrelevant. Does that belief affect the way Buddhists have historically cared for the dead? They do care for the dead, and Buddhists, contrary to what you would think they would do, have shrines to the dead. I mean, not every form of Buddhism is the same, needless to say, but there are schools of Buddhism in which there are shrines to the dead, just as there are in Christianity, just as there are in some some. Uh, Aspect of some Jewish uh, communities. So even though the body doesn't matter, it ends up mattering a lot. And of course, in Islam, Muhammad uh, wrote against the idea of venerating the dead body, and 
very quickly, um, very quickly, uh, there came to be Islamic shrines for the dead everywhere. So it's a very hard thing. It, it, we seem to be culturally, I don't want to say hardwired, but the idea of, of making the special dead central to our communities seems to be very hard to resist. Don't the Zoroastrians have sky graves? What are those? They do. The Zoroastrians put the bodies out and have them eaten by the birds, which releases the um, the soul. And Native Americans did something similar, or some Native some, Americans. Some tribes. Native Americans leave the bo- leave bodies out. Uh, um, Tibetan Buddhists also have bot- leave bodies out. I mean, there are all sorts of different. Uh, different rituals, and I, I don't try to speak about, and I don't know about all these different rituals, but no community, as far as I know, um, just throws the bodies out. So when the Zoroastrians leave them to the birds, they don't just leave them anywhere. They leave them, as you just said, on these, in these sort of towers, and they're guarded by sort of dogs, which, which have a particular sacral function. And so um, it's, they're not tossed away. Some of the rituals can be problematic. Hasn't the ritual of the washing of the dead been a cause of the spread of Ebola in Central Africa? That's absolutely right. And and as you probably read, um, the the people who were charged with with burning the bodies in this in this crisis are now, which was a which was a, a, a act thought to be sort of sacrilegious and 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 kind of contrary to everything that in this culture. These people are now sort of shunned because they took participated in this. Absolutely, but it's but let me just add to that that it's very few diseases that are spread by dead bodies. So the the, the worry, the notion that dead bodies spread disease is is far more about cultural pollution than about actually spreading disease. Even if they are left for long periods of time, they I always thought typhus I mean, was the, 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 thing, the with line it. that you read in the medical literature is that any thousand dead bodies are safer than any thousand live bodies. So I can give you little exceptions. There's certain sorts of TB that are spread by dead bodies, and especially if you push on them and they aspirate, the, 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 the bacteria come out. But in general, uh, dead bodies are less likely to spread disease than live bodies, especially infectious diseases. We're taking calls during this segment. Our number here is 212-433-9692. And Bill from Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, you're on the air. Well, hi, Leonard. How are you doing? I'd like to answer your question. Uh, you get the question about the term dead ringer. Oh, now, gosh. does that <laughs> refer to the 19th century safety coffins? And, well, that's, um, I, don't, I, I don't know. that You're absolutely right. There is a 19th century. In the late 18th century, there came to be this fear of premature burial. And as you say, people invented these coffins that had a little, bell, little cord connected to a bell on the surface. Right. So if you were buried early... It's, you, it's called... Taphophobia, the fear of being buried alive. Is that correct? Yes, yes. And I don't. And it's, I know when it starts because there's a. Uh, there's pre, we can date this pretty precisely, and and it starts in the middle, sort of the 1740s, and mm-hmm. um, and but I don't. I don't know where dead ringer comes from. It's an, it's an interesting question. Maybe one of your other listeners will know the answer. And we thank you know. for your call. <clears throat> And let's hope that somebody out there does know. Uh, You mentioned (laughs) Karl Marx's grave in London. Wasn't there a fight for his ashes by several countries? But then his grave has been attacked. There was a fight for well, there was a fight for his 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 body. There was the the ashes were his daughter Eleanor's ashes that were being fought over. So his the Russians wanted to get his body after the revolution, and the British wouldn't hand it over because they couldn't find a relative of Marx's who would give them permission. And then in 1955, 
the Marx Library. It is said with money from the Chinese, but I've never been able to nail that down. But certainly the Marx the, the, the Library uh, got permission um, from a distant relative to move Marx's body from its obscure grave in Highgate to this very, very, very prominent grave at the high point of, of, of Highgate Cemetery, which is one of the most famous and beautiful of the London cemeteries, and built, I think, a rather hideous monument to him. And after that, um, the comrades from all over the world came to be buried around him. So I had imagined that if someone, archaeologists, were to dig this up in 500 or 1,000 years, they would ask, what kind of a saint is this, uh, Marx, around whom all these other bodies are buried? That's what I think is so curious in the sense that Marx himself wrote his thesis on an ancient philosopher named Epicurus, and Epicurus was one of the great ancient materialists, and he wrote specifically about um, the non-existence of the dead. He wrote that when you, when you die, your body, the atoms just become regular atoms again and have no relation to you, and they'll never come back together. And so Marx had a as a student, had an interest in this materialist notion, the body is nothing. And later Marxists would certainly hold the same thing. And then here you have it, a shrine to Karl Marx. An important recent Marxist historian spent a lot of money buying plots next to Karl Marx's grave. I found that rather both touching and curious. And well, that's what I mean, you know. Isn't yeah. there more irony in the fact that Lenin and Stalin's bodies were preserved and put in mausoleum, well, put in whatever buildings sure. uh, in totally, Red Square yeah, was kind right. of like what the Egyptians did? Well, or what they become sort of the, the sacral body of the Commonwealth and, and um, you know, like the king's body represented in the old regime. Absolutely, it's strange. And, but that's what I think is so puzzling about this. And when you, if you were ask a Marxist, say like Eric Hobsbawm, the greatest Marxist historian of the 20th century, about why you would want to be buried next to Marx, I think he would quickly start waving his arms. I think there is no coherent answer within this, if you will, this, I, this way of looking at the world. And yet, and yet, the dead body represents this important maker of communities. Being ashes, being near ashes, matters in a way that's, I, I think of it as a kind of, if you want to call it a magic we can believe in, or a secular magic, or an anthropological magic, it just, we believe it, and, and when pushed, we can't give a theological or philosophical answer to it. Unfortunately, Eric, Eric Hobsbawm is no longer with us. I'm now regretting that I didn't think to ask him that question when he was a I guest on our did show. You, did you interview him? Yeah, you, well, obviously, before he died. Thomas yes. W. Lecur. Well, not so obviously. There's spiritualist <laughs> interviews, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, we've done a fair number of shows with Ouija boards. Thomas W. Lecur's book, uh, the subject of today's Please Explain, is The Work of the Dead, A Cultural History of Mortal Remains. We're inviting your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. And we'll be back with more right after this. We're back with Thomas W. LeCur on today's Please Explain. His book, 
The Work of the Dead, A Cultural History of Mortal Remains, published by Princeton University Press. And we are taking your calls at 212-433-9692. You can write to us on our show page at WNYC.org or on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is at Leonard Lopate. And let's go to Rabbi Mark Biller uh, from Verona, New Jersey. Is it Biller? Yes, hi, how are you? I'm well. Good, good. Um, there was a comment earlier that uh, about Jews being buried with tattoos, and it may be because of post-Holocaust. Yes. Um, it's actually the, the reverse. The, there's, um, the, the Torah, the Bible, prohibits tattoos because it's a desecration of the human body. Uh, Nazis specifically tattooed Jews as a kind of extra insult, knowing it was something forbidden to Jews. So, so the reason is from the Torah. Um, and the second piece, there was a belief that Jews with tattoos cannot be buried in a Jewish cemetery, but it's not actually Jewish law and people with tattoos are buried in Jewish cemeteries. I, I got that information from Lenny Bruce, not necessarily the best source of Jewish theological <laughs> thinking, but he used to talk about how he couldn't be buried in a Jewish cemetery because he'd been tattooed when he was that's, in the Navy. That's pretty funny, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, there's also the version that, that in the late 19th and early 20th century, Reformed Jews were, were, were cremated in far higher proportions than the populations in general as a sort of sign of modernity, and many rabbis refused to bury them in Jewish uh, cemeteries, and there were great disputes about this, and I think there's actually no... There's no Jewish law that you can't bury cremated remains. I think it just wasn't done. Is that correct, Rabbi? I'm not done as a way to try to persuade people not to not to do it, not to uh, not to do it at all. Yeah. Okay. Thank yeah, you for and, calling. And possibly the same with uh, tattoos. It also used to be believed that suicides couldn't be buried in a Jewish exactly. cemetery. That's true that's with Christians as well, now. of course. Yeah. Thank you for calling us. Thank you. Okay, my pleasure. I love your show. Thank you. And Ron from Lindbrook, you have an answer about Dead Ringer. Dead ringers, they needed space in the uh, cemetery, so they would pick, pick up the uh, coffins, go into the boxes, and notice that there were scratch marks on the lid, so they were still alive. So what they did was, when they buried someone, they put uh, a string around his wrist and a bell above the ground, and if it moved, that's where you got the word graveyard ship, somebody would be listening for the bell. Ah. Plus the fact that they went into this, this, this uh, coffin because the bones were valuable and they needed last, and they would sell the bones. When they saw the lids of the coffin, they saw there were scratch marks, but they were still alive. So they, that's how yeah, you got the term grave, graveyard ship, saved by the bell and dead ringer. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ron. I hope that all of that is true because it sounds wonderful. It sounds great. Now, let's get back to your book. Uh, when did the preservation of bodies as a ritual begin? Well, that's a really interesting question. Well, I mean, as you know, um, the, the Egyptians were the first great masters of embalming. Um, but didn't then, it occur even before them? You know, I, I, that's a very good question. I, I, don't, I haven't come up with any evidence of embalming before the Egyptians. But then... We don't we don't hear of embalming with the Greeks. We hear of embalming in the Middle Ages when when um, someone would die, for example, on the 
Crusades, a heart might be embalmed and brought back home, and a body part might be embalmed and brought back and, home. And a listener, Patrick, from on Twitter wondered about that because he said, uh, when did that, they start separating and burying people's body parts? Well, Chopin is, is in France, but his heart is in Warsaw. I know the, I know the answer. Well, when they, you're absolutely right. Um, the, well, the two, that's an interesting, really interesting question. Um, so let me just finish the embalming story. So embalming really became important first in the United States, and it was a deal with bodies from the Civil War. In other words, families wanted to re- recover bodies that, who, uh, that had been killed in the battles of the Civil War. And so embalming technology develops really um, in the 1860s and, and, and then develops most rapidly in the United States. And so in the United States, embalming was much more common um, than it was in, in, in Europe. Now, of course, there's special embalmed bodies like Lennon's body and so forth. But in general, embalming begins in, in this country, in, in the United States, and, 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 and spreads, um, and spreads, um, it spreads elsewhere. So then there's the body part story. Well, um, the part of the body part story is, is the Roman Catholic cult of relics, so that bodies of saints would be divided up, so that someone got a finger and someone got a leg bone and someone got the arm of St. John and, um, and, and, and the, uh, the Baptist, the arm that had baptized Christ. And so that's where it begins. But, and then that, that tradition continues on. But in modern times, in modern times, as your, as your caller or tweeter points out, um, uh, bodies were also divided. Um, and especially bodies were divided in cases where people um, were in exile, for example. One part of the body might stay with Paris, and the other part goes to, goes to, um, uh, goes to, uh, to Warsaw. So, so the division of bodies is in some sense also the issue not just of sacrality, but of, uh, of exile. Now, uh, people were often buried uh, in plots next to the, the church. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm curious about a number of things, West. about that whole thing about churchyards and then tombstones, but also when did that change and cemeteries develop? Well, that's an interesting question. So, so let me just, roughly speaking, the churchyard comes into being um, with, with the rise of the church, um, and that's, depending on where you are, between the 4th and the ninth or 10th century. So that would be all, all across Europe? All across Europe. I mean, it's first, of course, where in southern France, parts of Italy, parts of Spain, where Christianity begins. In Britain, it's probably most parishes didn't have churches till the ninth or the tenth century. In German lands, which were conquered by Charlemagne, it took longer. But basically, um, basically, um, the the church um, becomes the community of the living Christians, and the churchyard is the community of its dead. And basically, the only place to be decently buried, from let's make roughly speaking the eighth or ninth century, to the nineteenth century, is in the churchyard all over Europe. Um, Europe broadly construed. I mean, that's true Eastern Christianity too. So you're buried. Um, and that applied to Protestants as well as as Catholics well, and East and question. Orthodox. So the, let me just speak. It's a really interesting question. So you think what the Protestants saying? Who cares? They wouldn't be buried in churchyards anymore. So Luther famously said, I don't care, just bury me in a meadow somewhere. Um, but it didn't happen. 
Luther was buried in a churchyard. And nothing, as in nothing, happens with where Protestants are buried after the Reformation. They're buried in Christian Catholic churches became Protestant, kept the churchyards. People are buried facing east. People are buried under the altar. Even in these Dutch Calvinist churches where they've cleaned out all the altars and took a, take down all the paintings and are hardcore reformers, if you look at these 17th century paintings, you'll see that the burials in these, in these churches are still where the altar had been. So nothing changes with the Protestants. So what happens is that in the 18th century, um, with the rise of, of if, um, plural, religious pluralism in countries like Britain, where there are people of different religious denominations, uh, in France, where the, where the Enlightenment produces anti-clerical people, people, famous philosophers who, who in some sense made their lives, their reputations, as Voltaire did, as enemies of the church, when they come to die, um, there's a gigantic controversy about where they should be buried. I mean, Voltaire's where Voltaire was buried it became 50 pamphlets were written on this, this subject because the church refused to bury him. Finally, he did get buried through various machinations in a churchyard. So it became, the churchyard became exclusively for Christians and of Christians of a certain sort. So Protestants couldn't be buried in, in France, for example, or in Portugal. So the church, but so it's, the churchyard then is the community of the parish of Christians of a certain sort. It's controlled by the clergy, not by family. It's controlled by the clergy, and it belongs to this Christian community. The cemetery, on the other hand, is a public space. It's cosmopolitan. It belongs to anyone who buys a plot or anyone in that in that area. And so, when you build a cemetery, it can be used for anyone and can mean pretty much anything. So it becomes a whole different kind of community. It's not around the church. The bodies aren't oriented, aren't oriented east and west. Um, it's, a, it's a park. It's a whole different kind of space. And then they become places where you can commemorate different political communities, different religious communities, different volunteeristic communities like Masons. So it's, it becomes, it's a real new place for the dead. And the first cemetery is Père Lachaise. Um, in the early 19th century in France. And that's copied all over the Western world and the colonial world. Now, we don't have much time, but I want to ask you about one other thing. Uh, mass graves can be found all over the world uh, in uh, societies where even where they care much for their dead. Why is the desecration of the te- dead something that seems to appeal to so many people when they're involved with war? Well, that's interesting. I mean, I I think it's 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 sort of it's really the 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 other side, the evil doppelganger. If you think of proper burial, so if you think about it this way, if if being buried properly is being incorporated into the human community through time, desecrating graves becomes a way of disrupting that community. So it be it French revolutionaries disrupting the graves of of kings or students in the Cultural Revolution disrupt, disrupting the Ming tombs, or, or um, destruction of Protestant or Catholic cemeteries in the Reformation, or the grinding up of the bones of Jews murdered in concentration camps and thrown in a field. It's, it's saying to the world and saying to yourselves, um, these bodies don't matter. These people are not part of the human community. And then 
and then in some sense they can be reincorporated. So if you go, for example, to Père Lachaise in Paris, there are many monuments in which people have collected ashes from Treblinka and Auschwitz and places and put them in a monument at Père Lachaise to say, look, they are incorporated into the community of the living they but are it, part of our world. But even the, the nature of the monument can become an issue. The Vietnam uh, Memorial, uh, which many people venerate today, was very controversial when it was, it was originally put, put it up. It shape because it wasn't monumental. But it grew out of World War I monuments where, where, where naming the dead becomes so crucial. And that's a very modern these very modern things, these monuments with names. But that's a little different. The erasure of names is was more common, as a matter of fact, because we didn't know the names of most people buried in churchyards. There were relatively few tombstones, but desecrating a churchyard, tearing up a churchyard, throwing a body somewhere in a ditch um, was desecration. So Voltaire, whom I mentioned earlier, as a young man, led a campaign against um, the, 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 the desecration of the body of an actress that he very much admired. Um, and and all his life feared being just tossed into a ditch because that really is ex- an exclusion. So if you, take, if you take my argument that being buried in an important, decently, is inclusion in the human community, the desecration, the posthumous desecration, is an important way of excluding someone from the community. So I think that's why cemetery desecration is, such, is so violent and so horrible. It really is saying you will eternally be not in this community. Thomas W. LeCur is the Helen Fawcett Professor of History at the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, his book, The Work of the Dead, A Cultural History of Mortal Remains, is published by Princeton University Press. Thank you so much for being on today's Please Explain. Thank you so much for asking, Larry. It was a pleasure.